seated. On Communion Sunday, the sermon comes a little earlier, so we'll be looking into God's Word now. You want to turn to Matthew 22. Why well, preach through books when you can just start in the middle or the end? No, I'm teasing. I'm playing with you this morning. We just finished Ecclesiastes, and one of the things that we've done in our 915 class, in fact, the latest thing that we did in our 915 class was we sort of used the, the documentary Spirit and Truth as a guide, and we studied through and talked about worship. And because of... Uh, a lot of the restrictions, we know that we didn't have childcare. We didn't have a way for a lot of you to come to that class. Um, it's just such vital, foundational material that I decided to take about a, a four weeks and just summarize and uh, hit, hit at four, I think, four topics uh, that we covered in the, the video. Really, the question we're asking is, what does it mean to worship in spirit and truth? What is worship? How, how do we do it? What would God have us to do in His worship? So we're going we're gonna to look at that over the next four weeks, and then we're going to start a study. We do really start at the beginning and go all the way to the end of books. We're gonna, our next study will be in the book of Romans. So I'm excited about that. I hope you are. Uh, if you understand Romans, you'll understand your whole Bible, uh, I promise you. Um, so we'll, we'll have a, a good, and yes, if you know me, long study in the book of Romans. In fact, one of the reasons I'm going ahead and doing that is so that I'm not getting any younger. So I want to be able to finish it by the time I'm done. No, it won't. <laughs> Donald Gray Barnhouse preached 540 messages from Romans. I promise you I won't do that. Um, but but it'll be a, it'll be a, I promise you it'll be a great fundamental foundational faith building um, study. And uh, I'm looking forward to that. But this week we're going to look in, um, if I can get my notes up, we're just going to look and see what Jesus says in Matthew 23, I mean 22, about the greatest commandment. And uh, we'll start there. The, again, this is foundational material. We'll move on for the next four weeks from here. So I hope you can be part of the entire series. It is a vital question. So let's read Matthew 22. Jesus' op opponents are in the process of ev trying everything they can do to trip him up. You know, so this is the context of this passage. They're asking him questions, not because they want to know the answer, but they want to catch him out in his words uh, and trip him up. And so this is one of, those, one of those questions that they ask in 22. I'm, I'm just going to read 34 to 40, uh, but you can, you can go back and, and read the context about that. And they've asked, they've asked him about the resurrection, about paying taxes, all of those things, and he's silence them and they they're keeping they're trying a little bit more but in verse 34 of Matthew uh, 22 it says this but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees they gathered together and one of them a lawyer asked him a question to test him teacher which is the great commandment in the law and he said to him you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Thus far God's word. Let's pray together. 
Lord, help us. Teach us. Refine us. Grow us. Take away everything that we believe that is not true and replace it with truth. Truth about you. Truth about ourselves. Truth about the gospel. Truth about why we're here. Truth about the mission. Certainly, as we look into this series, truth about your worship. Lord, none of us are glorified yet. We all have a mixture of good and bad uh, thoughts and good and bad theology. And we just pray that this would be a time of, of purification for your people. We pray that you would convert those who don't know you, that you would sanctify those of us who do, that you would be lifted high, and that we would find our joy and delight in you and in serving you. So bless the preaching and the hearing of your holy word. We ask for it and we trust for it in Jesus' holy, holy and precious name. Amen. When we think about worship, we too often ask ourselves the wrong questions. What do I like? What would non-Christians like? What would the people in my church like? All along, we are missing the central question. How does God want to be worshipped? That's Kevin DeYoung. I would advise you to read anything pretty much that he writes. Dr. Piper, Dr. Joseph Piper said this, and it's very simple. You can remember it probably after I say it. The church is sick and doesn't realize it. What do you mean the church is sick? The seeker-sensitive movement has done a lot of damage, theological and otherwise, in God's church. What we've become is, if we're not careful, we've become man-centered and want God to dance to our tune. We want to do what we feel is right and what feels good to us, what entertains us. Instead of focusing first on God and who He is and what He lovingly requires of us, knowing that it's both for our joy and our good. And I found this, this little documentary. I would advise you to get a copy and watch the whole movie. Um, but it's called Spirit and Truth. And it engages with this question. What is the central question? How does God want to be worshipped? That's where we should focus. So over the next few weeks, as I said, we'll seek to summarize that. And we'll answer questions like this. And this is today, this first question. What is our highest priority in this life? Next week, why did some people die when attempting to worship God? Y'all know that happened, right? A lot of times, not just once. What in the world is the regulative principle? Well, that sounds exciting, right? That'll get you here. <laughs> but it's biblical, and it's needy. And then how? See, how can we worship God in spirit and truth? And that's kind of how we'll finish up. This should be something we should all want to know. What pleases God? What does He want us to do in all of life, including worship? How can we worship Him in spirit and truth? In other words, here's the fundamental question. How can I love Him? who has loved me so that though I was his enemy, he has sent his son to live for me, 
to die for me, to be raised for me, to reign for me, and to come back again someday for me. How, how should His grace shape my heart so that I return proper thanks, sacrifices of thanksgiving and praise to Him? But today, this week, we're going to look at our highest priority. We're going to let Jesus teach us what our highest priorities should be. We're just looking at really one verse, uh, but... Uh, 22, 37, and 38. And the main point, just what I want you, very simple, I want you to grab it and take it away. Our highest priority is to love God and worship Him His way. That's part of, that's the preeminent part of loving Him and loving Him well, as we'll see. Well, let's look at the greatest commandment first. This is to love God first. And this is hard. And this is something we can't do. This is something we were not born doing. This is why Jesus had to come. But this is something He produces in the hearts that He saves and grows those hearts in loving God. But look, look back at the verse again when He's asked the question and Jesus is answering it. And He's basically quoting Deuteronomy 6, 5. When, he, when, they, when He's asked, Which is the greatest commandment in the law? He said this, You shall love the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. What is, what is to be my greatest priority as having been created by God? And especially as having been recreated by God or redeemed by Christ. The commandment is love. And the summary, what we have here in these two commandments, the first and then the second that is like it, is the summary of the Ten Commandments. And the first section is how to love God, and the, sex, next, the next section is how to love neighbor or, or man. But what does it mean, first commandment? When, he, when, they, when they're asking him, what is the first? They're asking him, what is the most important? What is to be our highest priority? What should be number one, numero uno? And no, that's about all the, I guess that's Spanish, huh? that I know. What's the highest priority to be in my life? It is to be to love the Lord. To love Him. We were created to love. And to love God first. We know that we love Him because He first loved us, but that's a whole other sermon. It's to be our first and highest and most important priority. It's of the greatest importance. As creatures of God, our purpose is to love. And at first, uh, the first priority is to love Him. And look what it says here. It says, Love the Lord your God with most of your heart and most of your soul and most of your mind. Give him, give him the most part or give Him the first little section and then you can go off and love. All. Big letters. All. All. Love Him with all. And, and right here it says your heart, your soul, your mind. And, and the purpose of the commandment there is not to, to break man apart and focus on all these different components of what man or woman, what we are. The focus is one of, one of, of 
emphasis. It's, it's adding them together. What, what it means by quoting all of these things is like, it's meant to convey the whole person. Everything you are, everything you are was created for exclusive and total devotion to God. Love the Lord your God with everything that you are. Jesus says, this is the best, the, the best yes, the most important, the, the highest priority, the greatest commandment. Your first duty is to love God with everything you are. To prioritize Him over everything else. Yes, that brand new, brand new, brand new, brand new brand baby. I'm having trouble this morning. Brand new grandbaby or brand new child. Your first baby or your sweetheart. It's hard, right? Because we're, we're fallen and we're... We have remaining sin and we tend to prioritize self and others over God. But Jesus is saying we need a reorientation. We need a recalibration. We need to have our hearts, minds lifted and fixed upon the Lord, our God. To prioritize Him above everything else and to trust Him that that's what's best for us. What, what did Jesus say in chapter 6 of the Sermon on the Mount? He said, seek First, the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And that's not, that doesn't mean you just do that at first and then you move on to other things. This is the same kind of language. Highest priority. Never stop. Continually be aiming high at His kingdom and righteousness. And then know this, that all these other things that you need, go read it in context, will be added to you. Trust Him. So love is commanded. Look at, look at how it is defined. See, what, we, what do we do as Westerners when we hear that word love? We look inside, don't we? We, we think of the sappy, sentimental, feelings-oriented love. That's why we say dumb things like, well, you can't command somebody to love. Well, I can't command you to feel, but God commands you to love Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, we know as fallen people we don't have the ability to do that. I'll talk about that in a minute and why we need the gospel. But it's not this feelings-oriented love. Primarily love, it's not the one that gives me these goosey feelings. See, a lot of times related to worship, what we come in looking for is goosey feelings. Don't we? Who are we focused on? Not God. God's got to serve me, make me feel good, or I'll go somewhere else and find another way to worship. But that's not the kind of love Jesus is talking about. Love as God defines it. How does He define love? Well, Jesus is telling us, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's a summary of the first four commandments. We'll talk about that in a minute. But John, His disciple, the beloved disciple, John answers the question, what does it mean to love God? He says this, by, by this we know that we love the children of God. In other words, by this we know that we're keeping the second table of... because we can't keep the second table of the law without the first... Talk about that again in a minute. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. Now watch what he says. He clarifies even further. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. In other words, he's saying, this is how we love God, is that we joyfully keep His commandments. We're, 
If He's converted us, now we have a heart tuned to His law. Like the psalmist in Psalm 119, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation day and night. Oh, how I wish I kept it fully. See, that should be our heart as Christians. And if it's not, there's a problem. But inspired text, this is God's Word that says, Love of God is joyful obedience to Him. And what produces the joy is the gospel through which we get a new heart that is tuned to His law and we begin walking that out in our lives and growing in joyful obedience. But to love God is to keep His commandments. To love God is to put Him first. To love God is to focus on Him. Related to worship, to love God is to come through the door with the purpose of, God, I'm coming in here to glorify You. Regardless of whatever else happens, I'm coming in here to glorify You. Whatever you want to do in my heart, do it. But help me to glorify you. Help me to encourage my brothers and sisters because this is not about me. It is about you. And so many places make it about me. Biblical love is love that produces joyful obedience to God's commandments. Biblical love is joyful devotion to another. Now catch me. Joyful devotion to another that flows out of contentment and satisfaction. Are you content in Jesus? Are you satisfied with Him? And could you be so if you had nothing else? It's a searching question. But see, the gospel produces this kind of love in the hearts that the Spirit shapes by it. A God-focused, a God-centered love. A desire to glorify Him and sacrifice myself for Him. So love is summarized in 2237 by loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, and strength. And I mentioned this before, but what he's getting at is, is the great commandment to love God summarizes the first four commandments of God. And the great commandment to love neighbor summarizes the, the last six commandments of God. So that in the law or in the Ten Commandments, if you don't know what I'm talking about, in the Ten Commandments you'd have two tables or two tablets if you want to think about it that way. And on the first one you'd have the first commandments and on the second one you'd have, you know, five through ten. We're talking about the first table. The first, Jesus is saying the first table is the preeminent table. It is the most important table or tablet. Commandments 1 through 4. So how, we don't have to guess at how we're to love God because He's told us in His Word, in His law. So the commandments 1 through 4, love God. No other gods, right? Only Him. Don't worship any other gods, have Him. Well, the primary thing we do with gods is worship them. And you were created for worship and you came in here today worshiping something. And God is saying, let him tune your heart so that you worship him. So our first and highest priority is that first table. The highest duty is to love God by keeping his commandments. Now, let me defend this love for a minute. Some of you might be saying, that's Old Testament law. That has nothing to do with a Christian. Jesus fulfilled that. He did away with that. Now we're under the law of Christ as though that were something different. Jeremiah said the new covenant would be God putting His law on our hearts. 
Not a, diff- a different law. The same law. Ezekiel says that the new covenant would be putting in, giving us a new heart and a new spirit to keep His commandments. Every one of the Ten Commandments is repeated and, and applied in the New Testament. Every one of them. All ten. See, depending on what certain schools of theology will try to divide your Bible. You might have heard Andy Stanley talk about unhitching from the Old Testament. You need to unhitch from him. <clears throat> yeah, I don't mind people call, calling people out. Uh, part of a shepherd is to club the wolves. We don't have a lot of shepherds. I'm not bragging on myself. We just, we just don't have a lot of people willing to call people out these days. But to say that the commandments of God, the very thing that John said was, would typify or defined our love for God, to say that those don't apply to us is really bad theology. Now, we don't establish our righteousness by keeping them. We'll talk about that in a minute. But the New Testament teaches us that the law still applies. Paul even applied it to children in Ephesians. And John, again, in 5.3, says that love of God is we keep His commandments. What commandments? God's commandments. Where are they? It's the Ten Commandments. The ones that Jesus said not a jot or tittle would pass away until heaven and earth passed away, until all were fulfilled. Jesus said that in Matthew 5, 17. I'm not making this stuff up. But listen, don't be one of those Christians who just chunks the Old Testament and carries around this New Testament and maybe you tip God and give Him the Psalms too. If you read, Go get you a Bible that highlights every time it quotes the Old Testament in the New. Most of it's about what the Old Testament said and how to interpret it in light of Christ. The early church's Bible was the Old Testament. They didn't have the New Testament, but they had the apostles there teaching them and interpreting it in the light of Christ. So, that's enough. I'll stop there. If you have questions about that, let me know. But historically speaking, sound theologians have identified three uses of the law, and I'm going to give these to you right quick. And I've sort of changed it a little bit to make it all be M's. I don't know why I felt like alliterating today. I don't do that every Sunday. But the, the, the Ten Commandments serve in three ways, right? These are the three proper and sound uses of the law. The first one is a mirror. The law is a mirror. It reflects both the perfect righteousness that God requires and it also shows us our sin and failure to keep it. Everyone is born as a creation of God under the obligation to keep His law in thought, word, and deed. To never think the wrong thing, but always think the right thing. To never say the wrong thing, but always say the right thing. To never do the wrong thing, but always do the right thing. And all of that be out of love for God first. That's why you can see the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So our first interaction with the law is to be humbled by it. Nobody can establish their own righteousness by keeping it. Otherwise, Christ didn't have to come. Jesus came because we had failed. All, what does the Bible say? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The glory that God requires. The righteousness that He requires in His law. Psalm 320 says this, 
We'll get back to this when we study Romans. For by the works of the law, by keeping the law, no human being will be justified or declared righteous in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Sin is defined by the commandments. Without the commandments, you don't have a definition for sin. So our first interaction is to come to see that we have failed to keep His law in thought, word, and deed. We have broken His commandments. We, we have not been good. We, we have not sought God. We've been about ourselves. We deserve condemnation. So what the first use of the law should cause us to do is cry out for mercy because it points us to our need for repentance and faith. The soul that sins shall die. The wages of sin is death. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And death there is physical death, yes, but spiritual death. Separation from God and His grace. Taking the condemnation that we deserve for breaking His law. And since it's an infinite debt, we could never pay it off. And that's why, you know, hell is everlasting and all of those things. If you die without faith in Christ, you will be condemned. You have condemned yourself by your disobedience and you will be lost for eternity. And you may not agree with that, but you heard a preacher tell you that this morning in love. And I, I call on you, please repent. Please turn from self and trying to be good enough, you can't, and turn to Christ. Why? Why did Jesus come? Because we'd broken the law of God and God has a people He's saving. So He sent His Son to live under His own law. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, three persons. Son of God becomes incarnate, takes a human nature. Why? So that He could live under His own law and He kept the commandments in thought, word, and deed in perfection out of love for the Father. He never sinned once. He established a record of perfect righteousness. Not so He could show out but we need a righteousness before God. So having established that, then He took our guilt upon Himself. He took our debt and He died, suffered horribly physically, but more than that, took the wrath of God upon Himself due His people. That's why He sweat blood the night before. He knew what He was facing. Scripture says Christ died for our sins. Isaiah says... The Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Then he drank that cup dry. You know how he succeeded and how I know? Well, being God and man, he could, he could satisfy that debt on the cross such that he said before he left the cross, it is finished. To tell us die, paid in full. And he went through the grave. He went into the grave for a time. That's the end of his humiliation, which started at his birth in the manger. Third day, blew the doors off the tomb to get out, no, to show that he was out. He was raised from the grave. Over 500 people saw him at one time being resurrected. He's ascended into heaven reigning. He's coming again. And he gives salvation as a free gift to those who are humble enough to trust him. Are you humble enough to stop trying to save yourself or to stop not caring, to think you can, you'll be okay, or to deny Evidence that makes it plain there's a God and holds you without excuse. Repent, turn, trust Jesus, receive Him. You can know that you're forgiven. And so then the first part of the law would have served its purpose because the law is a mirror. last thing I'll say about that is it mirrors Christ. He kept it perfectly for us. It's a mirror. Number two, it's a magistrate. 
In other words, it's a magistrate has the responsibility to enforce the law in a, in a particular place. And this is the civil use of the law. I just use magistrate. But when followed, it orders society, restrains evil, secures civil order as it is respected and applied. There's enough evidence in America to show you this. It has a restraining effect. When the Ten Commandments were taken out of the schools, the problems were chewing gum, talking in class, talking back, all of these things. Look at them now. When we ignore God's law, we lose this civil order. He gives us over to our own way, and we go nuts. We'll talk about that in Romans. So the law has a civil function. And then third use. Okay, we've, we've first used mirror. We've seen ourselves in our need for salvation. We've turned to Christ. So we're no longer under the law. It's no longer condemning us. It also restrains evil and orders society. But there's a third use that is all through Scripture. And the law is a mentor. The law is a teacher. It's a pedagogical use. The third use of the law is that it teaches and guides God's children into the good works that glorify their Father. You want to know what it means to love God? Look at those first four commandments. That's the preeminent list. You want to know what it means to love your neighbor? Look at the second six. If you love your neighbor, you won't steal from him. You won't commit adultery with his spouse or her spouse. On down the list we could go. And we know we dishonor and don't love God when we break any of them. But the highest priority is the first four commandments. The law teaches us. And in a lot of theology, we just get rid of that. And we act like the law of Christ is something different. We no longer need the commandment. A lot of bad theology, but it's biblical to think of a third use of the law that, it, that teaches and trains us. And in our context, what we're talking about today, it teaches us about worship. That it should be our highest priority. Jesus said this, if you love me, you will have good feelings. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And he didn't say it with a scowl on his face and he wasn't trying to be mean. He was just stating a fact. You want to know if you love God? Really, look at me. Don't look inside. I just don't feel like God's loving me. I don't care. I mean, I do care. You know how you know God loves you? Cross. That's how you know God loves you. You want to know how you're to love God? Cross. Follow Jesus. Deny self. Live for Him. Love Him. What is the greatest application of these first four commandments? It's worship. Secondly, the worship God only. The second point. First priority of instruction we receive is worship. Putting God first by worshiping His way. What is His way? It's the way revealed in His Word. Pastor J.C. Cunningham, it's a quote from the video. If you go watch it, you'll see it. The God who spoke the universe into existence is the very same one who chose man to participate in the greatest blessing in all the earth, and that is to worship God. Do you see worship as the greatest blessing in all the earth? That's a pretty high statement, isn't it? Or do you just can't wait till this is over? You just can't wait till this. I wish my wife hadn't made me come. Man, we could have visited another church. This guy's crazy. Um, 
Worship is at the center of our existence and the reason for our being, he says. Everyone worship. The question is, will we worship God? And what he means by that is, will we do the true, worship the true God in the true way? See, the first four commandments teach us about worship. They teach us, you know, I'll go through this quick. They teach us the proper object of worship. Commandment one, no other God, Yahweh only. Yahweh is a better pronunciation according to the Hebrew than Jehovah. That's mixing two words. Okay, Yahweh is probably the way it was pronounced. God, the Lord God, if you want to say it that way. The true and living God, however you want to put it. But it tells us the proper, the first commandment tells us the proper object of worship. The second commandment, no graven images, no bowing down to worship them, that teaches us the proper manner of worship. In other words, God forms His worship by His Word. Don't worship the true God in a false way. So the first commandment is the manner, the proper object of worship, God. Second is the proper manner of worship. Third commandment, not, you know, honoring His name, tells us the proper attitude, His glory. And the fourth one tells us the proper time, the Lord's Day. See how the first four commandments are all about worship? And all about how God would require us to worship? The first four commandments give us the who, what, why, and when of worship. And Jesus said they're the greatest commandments. They're the highest priority. This is what we should be preeminently focused upon. Not ourselves, but Him. Who He is, what He's done, what would He have me do? Remember the quote up front, the question we're asking... And the question that we miss all the time, how does God want to be worshipped? His word answer, His law answers that, His word. The greatest command is to love the true and living God by obeying His word, especially in the way that we worship. And He's been clear about that. And we'll, talk, we'll develop a bit as we move forward. Biblical worship then is devoted sacrifice of self in order to glorify, serve, and enjoy God. And to do it His way. Just a couple of uh, points of application and I'm done. We'll, we'll sing and have communion. Point number one. Our default setting is to jump to less than the central question. That's our default setting. That's our remaining sin. That's our inward focus. Our default setting is to jump to a lesser question. And, and it was highlighted in the first quote. What pleases and serves me? What do I like? What do I prefer? What do I gravitate toward? Many who otherwise tend to adopt, uh, tend to love God, when it comes to worship, they adopt a judge's mindset. Everybody does what is right in his own eyes. Well, I can worship on the beach just as well as I can. And you know you can't worship on the golf course. Anybody that plays golf? That's why you need new clubs for the ones you've broken and a new mouth. And and listen, I'll just say this and I'll move on. Far too many families put their kids' opinion on top priority. Oh my goodness, I cannot have my kid bored. 
Life is boring for the most part. Train them that it's not about them. It's about God. We're coming in to sacrifice. And I'm going to give you a little hint. If you're joyful in your preparation for worship and joyful in worship, they need to see that. And if they see that, guess what kids do? They imitate their parents. If you're coming in looking like you've been baptized in pickle juice and can't wait for it to be over, that's how they're going to be. And the default for a lot of churches is let's just take them out. Let's just remove them. Get them over here and we'll entertain them while you... Come on, y'all. You can't find that in the Bible. There ain't no such thing as children's church. A lot of churches are filled with children. But... Don't give in to that default to look less than the highest priority. First or most importantly... Secondly, our duty, our gospel duty is to please God first. Now wait, I'm not done. Is to please God first and find joy in that. Because it's not really pleasing God if it's not joyful. One of the things God criticized Israel for in the Old Testament was, was a joyless worship, a joyless service, a joyless obedience. I know Cindy was keeping a little boy one time and, and I think you were trying to make him eat something or... Anyway. Anyway, she was keeping... She was, yeah, a lot of stories. I get in trouble with some of my stories. But she was keeping this little boy and I think she was trying to get him to eat something and she told him to do it and he said, Yes, ma'am, but I am very hungry. <laughs> that wasn't obedience. That was not the kind of obedience God is looking for. But we do that, don't we? I'll do this, but my goodness. You know, a lot of times the reason the things that glorify God are stifling or boring to us is that we're not focused on Him first. And we've not been inculcating that during the week. But our gospel duty is to find joy in pleasing God. And if we've experienced His grace, we'll want to live for His glory. We recognize that both life and worship is about Him, not about us. You know the old story where the man came to the pastor after the service and says, Pastor, we're going to find us another church. He said, why? He said, well, we just don't get anything out of the music. The pastor said, well, that's okay. It's not for you. It's for God. People leave churches because they don't have stained glass windows. Find that for me in the early church. People leave churches because they don't have altar calls. Find that for me in the early church. People leave churches because of musical style. Boy, that glorifies God, doesn't it? I love you people, but your music's not enough for me to put up with you, so I've got to go somewhere else. Think about Jesus singing psalms with the disciples before going out to the Garden of Gethsemane. They didn't have a band. And they were contented just to sing God's Word. Put God first. Worship's not... The seeker-sensitive model has done so much damage in the church. Worship is primarily for the children of God gathered to worship their God on Sunday morning. Yes, there should be gospel in it and people should be able to come to faith. But it's not a, primarily an evangelistic event. It's a worship event. We do the evangelism outside of it for the most part. Again, if you, come, if you bring people to church, I promise you I'll preach the gospel to them. 
But we don't poll the community to see what they like and then shape service. No, because no one seeks God, Romans 3. The seeker is God, so we shape the service the way He says. And we want to grow in that. So our default is to be satisfied with less. Our duty, though, in God is to find what pleases Him and find joy in that. Number three, our direction is His commandments, His Word. All of life, including our daily worship. Yes, there's worship outside of special worship on the Lord's Day. All of life, including worship, should be ordered by His Word. Joyful submission to God is that preeminent characteristic of true faith. This is what the gospel aims at. We'll see this in Romans, and it bookends the book. Paul says the whole meaning of his apostolic ministry was to see the obedience that comes from faith happen, be produced in people's hearts as they follow Jesus. So look to God first and avoid our default. See joy in glorifying God. How do we glorify Him? By looking in His Word and then we find delight in it. Our delight, if the gospel is applied to our hearts by the Spirit, it's a self-sacrificial delight in God. If we come through the door looking for what we're going to get, We're missing it out from the get-go. That's why we need to prepare for worship because our default settings will make us aim low. But if we come in with a desire to glorify God, to love Him, with a desire to love our neighbor, that's true worship, right? So we'll sing songs that glorify Him, whether we like it or not, and we'll sing them loud enough so our neighbor can hear us. So that they can be encouraged in the faith. Guys, sometimes we think it's not manly to sing. Teenagers, sometimes we think it's not cool to sing. It's manly and cool. Jesus did it. And Jesus commands it. You say, I can't sing. Me either. Please drown me out. That's why we all sing together. You won't see solo. We don't do solo. I'll do a solo. I'll sing solo. You can't hear me if I'm the only one singing. I can also sing tenor and have been asked to 10 or 12 miles away. (laughs) If the gospel is working in our heart by the Spirit, it produces self-sacrifice in us. How else would you describe the life of Jesus? And He calls us to do what? Follow Him. We are called, we are renewed, we are enabled if we've trusted Christ. We are empowered to follow Him in a life of self-sacrifice. Remember the quote I started with. When we think about worship, we too often ask ourselves the wrong question. And if you are asking yourself these questions about worship, you are asking the wrong question. What do I like? What would non-Christians like? What would the people of my church like? And all along we're missing the central question. How does God want to be worshipped? And listen, if what you like is that, that's a good thing. We need to be training our hearts to like what God requires, what God says is for our good, certainly what's for His glory and what He will use to build His kingdom. See, we've seen from Jesus Himself, our highest priority is to love God. And we're saved in order to love God. Renew heart. Power of the Spirit. You know the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you? 
if you're trusting Jesus? That same power is in work. So don't say, I can't. You can be honest and say, I don't want to. But if you're trusting Jesus, don't say, I can't, because I know you can't, but He can, and He works in and through us to do what is pleasing to Him. So Jesus is teaching us our highest priority is to love God and worship Him. And it should be our joy. And to love God is to worship Him, to live for Him, to serve Him, to do whatever it is we're doing in accord with His commandments. So I guess the question I want you to go away asking yourself, the question I'm asking myself, the main question is for all of us to go away asking ourselves is, do I love God? Do I really love God? And to the extent that there's self-sacrifice in my life, for Him first and foremost, and then for the others around, yes, then I'm loving God. Don't be centered on self. Be centered on Jesus. And as we move forward in this series, we want to ask that central question, how does God want to be worshipped? He wants to be worshipped the way Jesus worshipped. And we'll talk more about that. To live is Christ. Let's pray. Lord, some of this is, is brand new to some of us, and I pray that you, by your Spirit at work in us, will help us not to have knee-jerk reactions. But just to listen and, and learn, and is this, be Bereans. Is this what your Word teaches? And nobody could disagree with this being our cry. God, help me to love you. I know that I have any, if I have any love in my heart, it's because you love me first. You have drawn me to your Son. You have granted me repentance and faith so that I have trusted in Jesus and Jesus alone and received the free gift of salvation. But it was a big box. It's a big gift of a new heart and a new power that if we're in Christ, we're a new creation. And the new created heart grows in loving you. We're not perfected yet. We will daily have sins to repent of. But deliver us from focusing first and primarily on ourselves. Help us to focus first and primarily on you. Lord, we talk about this all the time. Help us to be a God-centered people. A Christ-centered people. Help us to be Trinitarian Christians who worship the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. Help us to be at your beck and call so that we live for you, a life that glorifies you, a life of love to you because we're meditating on your commands, on your word, on Jesus and how he taught them and applied them, on the New Testament and how they're interpreted and applied. Sanctify us, Lord. Your Son cried. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify us by your truth. We confess together your word is truth. Build and bless your church. Help us, Lord. First and foremost, to come to faith in Jesus. But come, having come to faith in Jesus, help us to worship you in spirit and truth. It's in Jesus' holy name that I pray with thanksgiving.